0: Welcome to the RSP Cast Quick Game Week Twelve. I'm Mark Schofield. He's Matt. uh wait a minute! Okay. <laughs> oh,
1: you I should have rolled this. with that. You should have rolled with that. I
0: pulled this routine on Dwayne last week, and you, you, I got a better. I got a better reaction out of you. That's great. <laughs> So as you can see, we're just a couple of kooks who talk about football. and We're going to have a good time doing yeah. it for the next hour. And, you know, we're going to talk a little football. We're going to talk about a little Thanksgiving. We're <laughs> going to talk about all sorts of things, um, you know, just because we're having a good time. It seems like you were having a good time with us when you listen. So we, we appreciate that from you. So I'm just going to go in any kind of sort of order here. And I'll let Mark kind of go in any kind of sort of order. We'll just kind of alternate through some of this. So I think right now... I'm just curious, who's the scariest defender you ever saw play?
1: I mean, I could go in two ways. I could go for the personal experience to talk about Ethan Brooks and how he probably stunted my mental development in college. Um <laughs> Because I do believe that he did. And I've told the story before where as a freshman at Wesleyan, I took the front pad out of my helmet because my helmet fit too tight. And as a freshman, I, A, didn't really expect to see the field. And B, I got the dregs of the equipment anyway. So I didn't have that front pad of my helmet in when a 6'4", 295-pound defensive tackle went on to play left tackle for the Baltimore Ravens and Dallas Cowboys hit me head on. So, yeah, I mean, there's that. But I think, look, the, the real answer is Ronnie Lott. And, you know, as a kid that grew up watching Joe Montana and sort of idolizing Joe Montana, and now my bad quarterback takes were influenced by that idolatry, Ronnie Lott was fearsome in my mind. The huge shoulder pads, the fact that he, like, had to have a part of his finger amputated because he got it stuck on somebody's helmet, and that didn't phase him, like – for me, it was Ronnie Lott, man. Like you, there was a reason why in the '80s and early '90s you didn't throw over the middle of the field against San Francisco. You just didn't because you weren't coming back if you tried to go over there. So yeah, Ronnie Lott.
0: That's a great answer, and man, he's a guy who, in our football guys IDP Dynasty staff league, we have three divisions, and we have the we have the Dick Buckus division, which yours truly is currently nine and one in, having a good nice. time with that. We have the lawrence taylor division and we have the ronnie lott division so but at the cover of that they have photos of each but the cover of that that dynasty league is of the steel curtain defense yeah and growing up in the 70s joe green to me i i still remember not only do i remember joe green before like the coke commercial where they showed the nice guy And like the crazy fights and the ways that he would go after people and the intensity in which he played. But I remember when he became a kind of a beloved player in the league. And I remember watching a game against Miami at the goal line where he anticipated the snap count and literally jumped the center and tackled the quarterback at the one-yard line like, they were at the goal line, and he literally tackled the quarterback for a loss. And just how quick he was, and just how big, quick, strong, intense that that guy was. It's amazing, because you wa- you see him, like, we'll see him in Mobile every once in a while. He looks like a teddy bear. He looks like somebody's grandpa. Right. You know, but that guy, yeah, absolutely it's craziest good player I ever saw on defense and scariest for sure.
1: Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I definitely would understand why somebody, you know, would grow up watching Joe Green and have that sort of thought on him. All right, Matt, we're going to spin this around to me. It's my opportunity to ask a question. Let's do this one. <laughs> Fondest, funniest, or strangest Thanksgiving memory?
0: Okay, I'm going to just tell a – I'm going to tell – Probably probably the strangest was having Thanksgiving in Jamaica and having a Cajun cook us a fried turkey. And Ooh. then realizing, and so that was really actually a strange and good memory. But related to that, the funniest one for me was probably more of a fantasy football, like worst bad beats type of thing. 'Cause I remember being in the league with some friends and um and I'm having a mental block. You know who this is. He's the slot receiver who played for the Colts with um Peyton Manning and then later played for the um played for the Broncos. Um
1: Oh why is <sighs> You know I who know, Brandon Stokely.
0: Brandon Stokely. Okay. okay. I've blocked Brandon Stokely out of my <laughs> mind. I've actually met Brandon Stokely with Cecil because they did right. shows together. Yeah. And I think I I think I wanted to punch him, but like <laughs> because I I remember I was cooking my turkey, frying my turkey out in the backyard, and getting that all prepped, and I kept going back and forth. I had Brandon Stokely on my roster for Thanksgiving, and I was thinking should I start him should I not I have a feeling I should start him and then I had and then I had never fried a turkey before so I was like getting all caught up in that and making sure that everything that the oil filling was right that I didn't want to have it overflow I was you know and I was out there and was and just getting distracted and I forgot to put him in my lineup and I think he scored like five four touchdowns or five touchdowns in that week against I think Detroit and it like kept me out of the playoffs so I remember like That is being like the weirdest Thanksgiving I had. And it made me laugh because it was just like, you know, sitting out there by myself, like basically cursing out this turkey, um, you know, (laughs) as as I'm hearing as I'm coming back in inside the house and like looking at updates and going, oh, he scored again. Oh, he scored again. So not that funny, but, you know, my strangest one was the Jamaican thing, having like my best turkey from there. But yeah, how about you?
1: Um let's let's go. How about this one for a little bit of a family story? And you know, my mom and dad are probably gonna be embarrassed as I'll get out when I tell this one. But growing up as a kid, we had a routine where we would go to my mom's mom's house, uh, my grandmother's house. Um, she would they would host, and then we would go to my great-grandmother's house, also on my mother's side of the family, kind of like for dessert. And that's where like the extended family would get together. And I remember it was the Thanksgiving day when Leon Led had that play <laughs> on the blocked field goal. Yes. And just as that was happening, my brother and I were in the living room of this house in Arlington, Massachusetts, watching that play. I hear my grandfather scream out, what the hell are you doing? And it's because my grandmother, his wife, had just, as she was pouring the coffee for him, dumped it in his lap. <laughs> Because oh, of a family argument that had been unfolded about <laughs> God knows what, but she thought in that moment that the way she was going to make her point was to just pour the hot coffee in his lap.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I that one for Thanksgiving memory. Wow. And I could just, I could just see the look on my mom's face right now as she's like cringing. Sorry, mom, but yeah, wow. I had to tell that story. Well,
0: see, there you go. That's one. That's kind of like a. That's kind of like a. Um... You know, whew, that's a, that's a wake-up call. That's a wake-up call for sure. <laughs> Robin Williams could have done a good bit on that one. Seriously. Sure. I will, you know, I do have, I I don't remember this, but it was told to me as a memory. My grandmother told me once that I almost choked on, on something that she made. And she used to make these jellos and she'd put like, you know how some people make the jellos back from like back in the day where they put like sour cream in it? So it's not like... yeah. Transparent is kind of, and it's like this odd color. So she had like this odd color green jello that looked like something alien from, um, like the movie Better Off Dead. If you ever saw that John Cusack yes. movie, that crazy jello that moved. It kind of looked like that, but it tasted pretty good. But she she used to put pineapple chunks in it. Okay. And so she put pineapple chunks in this lime jello, and apparently I I was a little kid and I choked on it. And she like picked me up by my ankles and like shook me because obviously,
1: because <laughs> that's what you do. Because
0: that's what you do, you know. Yeah. So and I spat it out, and apparently my grandmother said I was like two or three, and when I spat, when I finally like coughed it up, I like she put me right side up, and I looked at her and I said, "Don't ever put that in the jello again." Yeah, <laughs> so something like that. So yeah. So hopefully your Thanksgivings don't include like burnings. Or, right. or choking, and scaldings, and yeah. all sorts of things like that, or any type of maiming. So, And with most people separate, that might actually that, work that out. Should
1: that should work out. I mean, if you're still having maimings and scaldings with your immediate family, oh boy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Time to move out, I would say. Yeah. That's probably the thing to do. But let's, thinking about people who you know kind of didn't um, leave unscathed this past weekend. What are your thoughts on Tua's benching and and what happened in Denver?
1: You know, I I wrote this week um, at USA Today, um, and it might be in a minority opinion that I'm holding. I understand it, and I'm completely okay with it. Um, I I think a lot of people looked at that situation and thought, you know, how can you sit him down? This is the worst kind of message to send. And I will say that where my mind immediately went, and I obviously referenced it in the article, was your piece on ruining QBs where you related the Drew Brees, Marty Schottenheimer story where, you know, Schottenheimer pulled Brees aside and said, look, if this is a one score game, you're out there, but I'm not going to run you out there and ruin you and get you hurt in this situation. And he had just gotten sacked twice on that drive. They were down 10 points in the fourth quarter. And I could not help but think that Flores was saying in this situation, you're just going to cause yourself harm. I'm not going to do that to you. We drafted you not to win in 2020. It's great that we are, but we drafted you to win in 2021 and beyond. So I'm doing this to protect you. So I'm okay with it. I don't know if other people are. It seems like other people aren't. I don't know where you are on this. I haven't seen yet, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm completely okay with it yeah. for
0: obvious reasons. Exactly that. And it's just like, and if anything, he had a bad foot or, you know, earlier he got rolled up on a little yep. bit before they said it was due to performance. You know, i mean, I watched watch the game and I'm like, he had a couple near interceptions. He had one that he did throw. He There were some plays where he was moved off his spot and he wasn't accurate earlier in the game, but he made some decent throws. There's a lot of talk about him not making enough tight window throws, and I'm sitting here thinking, are you kidding me? We just talked about him two weeks yep. ago and all the tight window throws that he was making, some of them to a fault, um, you know, or a, near that line. So I don't know. I just think that, You know maybe the city of Miami and its media aren't used to seeing what good quarterback play has been since uh, or promising young quarterback play has been for a while um are they just getting over you know they're just excited that they can critique football for a change you know for a while I don't know I'm I'm gonna say it because I don't want the resident New England fan to have to say it and do the troll job on the Miami Dolphins but but you know, from that perspective, yeah, certainly I, I think it made sense. Yep. And and it seems like that Tua's in a situation in a good situation that they did do that. I'm yes I'm thrilled for him for that reason. I mean,
1: if you think about the two biggest things they've done with Tua this year, decided to play him when they did after the bye, and now this. I think those are both incredible signs for how they have a plan for his development because Like I said, when they decided to start him, it was clear to me at that moment that they had a plan that they were going to start him after the buy, and they stuck to that. They didn't alter, they didn't deviate from the script, and now with this decision to sit him down when they did, they are looking at this as a long-term thing, not a short-term thing, and I think that's great for Tua. Yeah, they have a compass.
0: They actually literally have a compass for what they want to do, and it's not influenced by public opinion. And that's just... That's well, fantastic. It, Team should play like, that it's way. It's
1: like Sigmund said. Remember the first round of the 2017 draft when Kansas City drafted Mahomes and Houston drafted Watson. And Sigmund said that night, and it's always stuck with me because it's so smart. They have a vision for the quarterback position going forward. They have a plan. It's not panic and react. It's this is what we're going to do. We have a vision, and it's the same thing with Miami. Lovely,
0: love it, love it, love it, love it. So, what do you got next?
1: All right, Um, I like this question, Matt. One player in the NFL right now who could play in any era who might surprise listeners?
0: I was thinking about this last night when I was watching, or two nights ago when I was watching him play, and it's Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook play in any era. Um, He's not the biggest, strongest guy, but he's tough. And he and watching him basically get his face mask dented in on that goal line play, it reminded me of like that Earl Campbell, Daryl um, not uh, Earl Campbell, Jack Tatum, right. epic hit. I mean, it was like uh, the fact that he he doesn't let people get usually get um, full contact on him, but when he, but he has terrific balance. He has just tremendous balance when he does drop those pads. And because of the way that he moves his feet, um, he's so elusive in an unconventional way um, because he bends around angles. He doesn't make lots of jump cuts. He's not a really hard-cutting guy. Doesn't jump, you know, doesn't have that unbelievable explosion that people look at metrically. But the fact that he can catch, he can block, he can run inside, he can run outside, he can break tackles, he can... uh, I, I just think this guy... I know from an injury perspective, people worried about him a bit, but he's handling the load once again, you know, for for this. I think he could play in any era. How about you?
1: That's a good answer. Um, I, I'm going to say two. One, just because I saw the picture floating around, and I have to reference it. It's Rodrigo Blankenship, the <laughs> kicker for the Colts. Uh, because, people, if you haven't seen it, there's a tweet that's going around. It's a picture of two people. And the caption is, I love the NFL because both of these players are professional athletes. And one is Rodrigo Blankenship and the other is DK Metcalf with a shirt off, which is just (laughs) an incredible comparison. But look, Blankenship, I just had to mention that. I'm going to go – and I've talked about this guy before. I might have even talked about, you know, last week, last time we did this, but Cole Beasley. And I've been saying for years that Cole Beasley just always gets open – And I think that it's another example, you know, some of the routes he was running against Arizona a couple of weeks ago, even though they lost that game, the guy seems to always get open. And I know right now in, you know, the modern era, he is like a slot receiver period. But I think, you know, in the seventies and the eighties, you know, guys like Mark Duper, Mark Clayton, like they weren't huge guys and they were boundary receivers in previous versions of the NFL. I think, Cole Beasley could be a boundary receiver in previous, you know, iterations of the National Football League. So I'm going to say Cole Beasley. Nice, very nice.
0: Okay, so we got a slot receiver and a running back. Who yeah, can, you know, I know, interesting. And Rodrigo Blankenship. <laughs> and
1: Rodrigo Blankenship.
0: <laughs> Seen enough of him at UGA. All right, yeah. so so can Andy Dalton start a winning streak for the Cowboys?
1: Oh, let's put it this way. Somebody has to win the NFC East, right? Like, according to the rules of this sport, somebody has to win that division. And you could make a case that, you know, with the talent around him at receiver, with Cooper, with CeeDee Lamb, with that fantastic catch against Minnesota, you know, they could go on a little bit of a run and make some noise in that division. The problem for them, and I was just rewatching this game this morning, they get a tough test Thursday against Washington. Like, say what you want about Washington. That defense and then particularly that defensive front is going to cause you problems. I think they sacked Dallas quarterbacks either six or eight times a couple of weeks ago. Sweat, you know, is getting the benefit of Chase Young getting double teams. Kerrigan also getting the benefit of Chase Young getting double teams. They're doing some stunted twist stuff up. I think on paper they could start a run, but I don't know if they can, given who they have to play Thursday.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you a follow-up question then with this. After what we talked about with the reason that Andy Dalton was missing for a few weeks due to that Washington game. Right. If someone tries to pour the equivalent of coffee in Andy Dalton's lap, <laughs> do you think Dallas comes to his? Do you think Dallas says, "Okay, we've had enough at this point?"
1: <laughs> I, I I I would believe so, Matt. Okay. I, I think you know, there were enough people not named Matt Waldwin and Mark Schofield talking about that moment in the wake of that moment that I think they've heard it. You know, and I'm sh- look if Mike McCarthy is out there chatteling Gallagher and smashing watermelons with a sledgehammer, what this team riled up? <laughs> you didn't hear this story? No, oh my goodness. So, and and He said it was the beauty of flying charter. That's how Mike McCarthy described it because in the pregame speech to the team Saturday night, I guess at the hotel, he pulled out a sledgehammer and some watermelons and started smashing them like Gallagher. And apparently the team loved it. Yeah. This is a true story. 2020 is not done with you, Matt. No, no, no. So look, if he's doing that, I'm pretty sure that if Andy Dalton gets lit up again, somebody's gonna bring their sledgehammer to the watermelon on the field
0: wow you know what yeah. it's now when you think about Mike McCarthy it's, <laughs> it's just it's absolutely fitting that he you could just imagine him at a Gallagher yeah show. like in the front
1: row just yeah. it, eat it up yeah, yeah
0: exactly probably brought his bib you know <laughs> He's <laughs> like well you know we buy 3 but the kids eat free so yeah. it's like yeah. <laughs> wow i yeah. cannot believe that story okay so yeah i mean i think i think they have a better understanding of what they can and can't do with andy dalton and what, and so there's that i think that obviously zeke's a little healthier there's yeah. that so that's helpful But yeah, this offensive, this defensive front is scary. I mean, Chase, talk about scary players. Chase Young is a scary player. I mean, before, Mm -hmm. before Andy, um, before Joe Burrow got hurt and we'll wish him a speedy recovery. Right. When he ear hold Burrow on that run. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he literally, he knocked Burrow sideways. That was just, I mean, that was, and that was some impressive work coming down the line like that. And we're just talking about him being athletic, not just the other things about his game and being a football player. But yeah, I I mean, looking at it from this perspective, I, I think it's a tough test. I I won't say they they can go on a winning streak, but I can say they will go on a streak of losing fewer games than maybe at least two other teams in the division. Yeah. 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 They'll lose. They'll lose few less.
1: I, I, I think there's a chance Washington wins this division. I mean, if you look at – well, look, first of all, Philadelphia is a mess. And you look at their schedule coming up. I mean, they got like Seattle and a bunch of tough games on the slate. The other teams have easier roads. And I think of the teams not named Philadelphia, Washington might have the easiest. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. So let's start with these two. I guess we'll have to do these in tandem. Your best fantasy football team this year, what worked for it and what didn't?
0: Well – I've, I'd say my, I've had some good, I've had some good seasons so far. I play in about seven leagues, um, which is most of them are dynasty leagues at this point. So my best ones are football guys, IDP dynasty league that I talked about. And that's a team that I'm 10 and one in. So that's a good start. What's worked is that I have, though I've had a ton of players on COVID list, like everyone else, I've seemed to have less than other folks and I managed to survive Nick Chubb's injury despite not really having much running back play other than like working with Justin Jackson and Chase Edmonds. So what's worked is having a great deal of wide receiver and linebacker depth because it's a full IDP league. So having a having a receiving core where guys like Robbie Anderson and Amari Cooper are my our vying for my fourth receiver spot on a weekly basis is has been pretty good considering that I have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and, and Chris Godwin and guys like that. So I'd say that that and then with a, a strong linebacking core that's been worked out. So what so what hasn't worked has been the running backs. What has worked has been basically linebackers and wide receivers. Um and so that's that's been a, a good scoring team, so that's that's for me. How about you?
1: Well, I'm in three leagues. I've uh, cut it by one this year, so I'm just in three. They're all redraft. And frankly, Matt, nothing's worked for me this year. Like nothing's really worked. Um, I guess you could arguably say that my best team is my home league team where I'm I believe six and five. Okay. So I'm just above 500. Um, what worked for me there? in a sense, was what I did last week. The reason why I'm above 500 is because the second I saw, and this is an ESPN league, the second I saw that Taysom Hill was going to get the start, I was able to add him immediately and slot him in as my tight end in place of Noah Fant and Evan Ingram. And so I got a ridiculous amount of points, thanks to the ESPN scoring, for Taysom Hill as a tight end. Wow. So. Yeah, in my, my um, texts in the league message board. I don't know if I'm going to be invited back, even though I've been in this league for about you know, 10 <laughs> years now. Um, yeah, so, so that's worked. I mean, what, what hasn't is my faith in young tight ends. And I, I need to stop believing in young tight ends in fantasy football, I think. Because as I just mentioned, I was building my tight end position around Noah Fant and Evan Ingram, and it burned me. And maybe by extension, it was a faith in young quarterbacks and Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. But this wasn't my first rodeo with Daniel Jones, with with Evan Ingram. And it will have to be my last because I can't do this anymore.
0: Well, and then I'll share my worst. My worst is in the Football Guys Redraft Staff League, which is a league that I'm usually pretty good in. I usually make the playoffs in that. But I'm 3-8 and eight and have the tied for the worst record with Adam Harstad, another guy who normally is doing pretty well in that league. He and I are like on the bottom this year. Um, wow. I I think I've lost five in a row. Um, and I had a team that I really felt pretty confident in heading in because I, you know, I, you know, when I started and it's a two quarterback league, it's a flex super flex league. And so I had guys like James Connor, who kind of disappeared after the first month Ezekiel Elliott, who got hurt. Um, and then, and then after that, it was like, I had guys that, you know, I had Tom Brady and, and Gardner Minshew and Minshew went kaput. So then that didn't work out. I had faith in Rob. I had faith in older guys like Rob Gronkowski, who I was like, I thought that was going to work. I had him paired with Darren Waller. Um, and, and then I've had to like just revamp this team and I've lost some nail biters but like when I look at this team it's like now I look at the roster and I barely recognize it because I've got Brady and Mullins but then I've got Kalen Balage, Carlos Hyde, Mark Ingram you know as guys I'm trying to play alongside of Connor and Elliott I had, I had Joshua Kelly early I had too much faith in certain rookies and then like guys like DJ Chark I had too much faith in the Jaguars offense I think DJ Chark Gardner Minshew, that was part of it. And then CeeDee Lamb and Ezekiel Elliott going the way of Dak Prescott. Basically, when Prescott Prescott left, my two top receivers kind of went went kaput that way too. So I would say having faith in the wrong teams in, in terms of the quarterback play yeah. there um bit me. So that's that's where I'm at. This team is probably one of the worst teams I've fielded in a long time. <laughs>
1: yeah. It happens, it
0: happens. That's the way it goes. Yep. All right. So, all right. Speaking of Cowboys, former Cowboys, can Des Bryant be productive this year? I watched him in Baltimore this week and, you know, it was like, here, dump the ball off to him. Got a couple of blocks, you know, got some carries. But they're, you know, the broadcast crew's talking him up like he's going to be Anquan Bolden circa San Francisco and Detroit. I don't see it. How about you?
1: I don't see it either. I mean, the way you just described it is how they used him. It was designed stuff. They were basically lawn handoffs, um, you know, watching him. I don't see evidence right now, and maybe it will come. I mean, but I don't see right now evidence that he can get consistent separation or even the amount of separation he once got. And I don't know if he can be as strong as, say, Anquan Bolden was at the catch point. Um, so I, I just – They might be able to scheme some stuff for him. Um, So there might be like an extension of that, some minimal productivity. But Baltimore's got questions beyond just the wide receiver position. But I I don't really see it. What about you? No, not at all. In
0: fact, I think they should spend more time trying to scheme ways to use Devin Duvernay out of the backfield and get him involved more and maybe make him a woodhead type of player because they're certainly not using anybody on the outside right now because um, they're not throwing to the outside. And teams are certainly, like, doing so much to try and pack the inside to stop this this offense. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to bring this up because I, I wrote about this on, on Monday. And I think that there's a bit of a savior complex that we have uh, regarding Lamar Jackson. Like, that's kind of like, you, you know when you think about his career, it's like he played in high school on a team that was mostly running the football. Then he comes to Bobby Petrino and you listen to the stories and it's like Bobby Petrino, the offensive genius mastermind, you know, created an offense for Lamar Jackson and gave him his shot to be a real quarterback in college. And it's kind of like, you know, Lamar Jackson did a lot of that work on his own. And it's not like Bobby Petrino dumbed down the offense. But the way you read into it, the way it's kind of talked about, it's almost like Lamar Jackson wouldn't have been a quarterback anywhere else. Then it's like he gets to Baltimore. Lamar Jackson probably wouldn't have been a quarterback anywhere else. And we talk about Robert Griffin and we talk about Colin Kaepernick and some of the ties between this offense and those guys. And I think that we forget that Lamar Jackson's actually a pretty damn smart quarterback. Who I mean, even in this game, there was a play... That Romo detailed pretty well on the show talking about how, you know, in the middle of the play, he noticed where the coverage was and made the post-snap post adjustment to lead um, his tight end up the sideline for a touchdown that wasn't a play that a lot of quarterbacks would make. Um, and you, you see him dropping dimes in, in some difficult situations, even though his, you know, he needs to get better in terms of his accuracy, especially outside the numbers. And that's going to be a problem. And part of that is they're going to be working together. But I just get this tenor that th- there there just seems to be this tenor in the media as if like, well, he's been found out and um, now he's going to, it's just sad because now he's going to go the way of Griffin and Kaepernick as opposed to like thinking this guy's a more gifted player than either of those, either of those options. If you ask me as a passer um, and as, as just a strategic type of guy. And I just, and I kind of almost feel like there's just this thought that like, if it weren't for the Ravens, he would just be like Malcolm Perry on the, right, you, you know, on the Dolphins.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think for, for some, you know, there's a, okay, see my pre-draft evaluation of him was right. Like he's, he's not going to be a good corner. You know, and we also have this tendency in the media is, is is to sort of overreact to the playbook. You know, that phrase, oh, they've got the playbook on them now. You know, they've got the playbook on how to beat Tom Brady and the Patriots. They have the playbook on how to beat Colin Kaepernick in the 49ers. They have got the playbook on how to beat, you know, Lamar Jackson and they figure things out. I think, you know, Tennessee's a pretty good football team too. You know, and if if, if Lamar hits on that throw to DuVernay, the deep shot, and they, you know, have a three-point, three-score game. We're having a completely different conversation right now. How many, there's yeah. this tendency to just overreact to stuff. Who, who,
0: who beat the the Ravens by a significant amount? One team this year, the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs. Yeah. They the the Ravens took the Steelers to the wire, could have yep. won that game. And yeah, yep. he had a couple of turnovers in that game. You know, but he he had them in it all the way to the end and every game they've been in it all the way to the end offensively. We don't talk about the fact that we don't talk about the fact that Corey Peters is like playing this off coverage against Corey Davis and anticipating in breaking routes, like for half the game and then, and, and, and just giving up ridiculous chunks of yards you know right. in the way that he's playing it and then when he finally switches he gets it all wrong there we're not talking yeah. about the defense and these are and the defense has been found out if you ask me I yep. mean it's interesting that they're that they weren't upset about letting um letting their safety go you know right. after the fight but you know you think about that safety and and maybe he wasn't as overrated as they wanted to say maybe. he was maybe you know, yeah
1: Yeah, so (laughs) interesting situation there. Um, Let's deal with another strange situation. Um, We mentioned him. We we teased him a little bit earlier. I talked to him a little bit earlier. Taysom Hill gets his first start. Matt, what were your takeaways?
0: I was impressed for considering it was a first game. um, As you know, I felt like they did with him that the what I think. The Browns do a little bit with Baker Mayfield, which is kind of like. Play action, bootlegs, um, give him two quick reads. Basically, one is set up to be a quick hitting first read. And if that doesn't come open, they had a slower developing second read to the opposite side of the hash. So, And often we're in the middle of field reads, keeping his eyes within a range where he didn't have to look too far one way or the other, that he could kind of have tandem tandem looks that way. Designed runs, which were nice. Um and I felt like, you know, he he was able to attack downfield well with the arm that he has, and and the way that defenses played him, they played more man to man, you know, and so he was able to throw attack downfield with a lot more of those man to man looks, um, and so I was impressed. I was impressed that he was willing to take a hit, that yeah. he would step in and and fire that ball, and he would take the contact, not a problem whatsoever. So I liked his toughness. I thought that the, the Saints schemed him well for, for what he could do. And Atlanta played him in a way where he was able to take advantage of that. Um, I think he learned, or at least he got an introduction to that when he's not running by design, that defenders are quick and that they can come up in the flat. And before you can start thinking about breaking that line of scrimmage, they've already wrapped you up in the backfield. He had a couple of those, and then, you know, and and then he also had a score where he beat Deion Jones around the corner, which was impressive. But that was where Dion had basically dropped back to cover the pass by that right. point. But so overall, I liked what I saw. Um, I'm not sitting here thinking that I'm still not convinced he's a every week starting NFL quarterback of the future. But I'm not gonna say he's a gadget player anymore either. He, I think yeah. he's a legit quarterback prospect.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's pretty accurate. I, I think, you know, you saw some limitations with the arm, and I know a lot of people talk about the sort of underthrow to Sanders and that sort of train wreck of a play. Uh, but you saw that there was at least the potential to craft an offense around him where if you're forced to start him, whether it's, you know, the rest of this season or down the road or whatever, you can construct an offense that is going to be successful. I do like, like you mentioned, the pocket toughness, the ability to sort of hang in there, take the hit, knowing that it's coming, which is sometimes tough to do for, you know, good, bad, indifferent, any kind of quarterback at any level. Um, So I think he did that well. And so I think, look, it was a success. They won a game. Um, And I think for a lot of people who sort of might have wanted to ridicule that decision or ridicule Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback, um, you know, you have to sort of take your lumps a bit in the wake of that, eat that salty crow. I still think that, you know, Jameis Winston might still be the better quarterback of the two, but Peyton has certainly shown that he can win with this guy. And so, okay.
0: No crows will be harmed during this show. Um, nah. but, <laughs> but, um, speaking of what's the, what was the weirdest thing about your neighborhood growing up?
1: Weirdest thing about my neighborhood. Um, man, I'd have to say that there was a wide age age range um, that I was kind of in the middle of. Um, because let's say when I was like seven or eight sort of playing in the street, there were a lot of kids that were middle school or even close to high school. And there were a lot of kids that were a little bit younger than me. And so I was kind of in the middle of this weird age bracket where like at times I was either like the big kid amongst the groups or I was like the baby amongst the groups and I was like caught between these two little worlds. So like some days I would be like playing tag, um, playing with like, you know, cap guns and things like that. Other days I'd be playing like, you know, Nintendo. In the early days of like Nintendo, um, playing Mario in the basement of like somebody's house, um, ordering pizza. And I remember in one it was in one of those moments where I called my house to sort of check in. And again, I'm going to be embarrassing my parents here. And my dad had told me over the phone that we had just invaded Iraq. It was the first Bush war. Okay. So it was 1991. And I literally blurted out, holy S word. And I was like, you know, 11 at the time or something like that. And there was this awkward pause on the phone, the other end with my father. He's like, I think you need to come home right now and click. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was the weirdest thing about my day. I was, I was like caught in between these two worlds. Maybe it forced me to grow up a little bit quicker than I should have. But at the same time, like I'm the big kid running around, the little kids at times as well. Like we play like pickup football on the street. and I'm just like stiff arming kids left and right because they're in like second grade and I'm in like fifth grade. So, yeah.
0: So, I think the kids were the weirdest thing in my neighborhood growing up, and I was certainly a part of that. And when I say weird, m- maybe I would say 70s poster children for juvenile delinquency oh would probably be that because I grew up in an apartment complex kind of in this intersection between an Italian and Russian immigrant neighborhood. Okay. Um, and it was mostly an Italian neighborhood, but where I lived, I think because it was like... They weren't low-income apartments, but they were, you know, they were. most of these places were homes where we lived and we we had the apartment complex was a big one. So I think most of the Russian immigrants lived there or folks who had, you know, single-parent households and stuff like that. So, you know, there was a wide range of kids and just the, it was in the games that we played that said so much about why we were like budding juvenile delinquents. First of all, you could go around and collect all the cherry bomb and 180 used-up shells that were all over the neighborhood, um, which I found to be interesting. That one that you know, at my age, you'd you know, at five, six, seven years old, that like I'm picking up all these little things that look like little scuba gear bottles, but they're actually like M80s that are like just <laughs> strewn all over the hill. Right. Then there's, then we'd play, you know, we'd play with our little toy guns, but we had a kid who we'd always play war and it would be like the Americans versus the Nazis. And this one kid always wanted to be the German. And he was like the one German and he had a hat. He had a, he had a helmet with like the actual, yeah, uh-huh. with the actual, like, yeah. And he was like the one kid and we would like play on one side of the drainage ditch and he'd be on the other. And he was like this. He, the only time he'd play with us is when we'd play this game and he was always playing, he was this little blonde kid, and he was always, he always played the Nazi. <laughs> then, so there's
1: that. I don't then know There's it the, there's the Matt, have you Googled that kid? Do you remember his name?
0: No, I don't. I don't. But then there's a kid. I have
1: some suggestions on what it might be.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know, but I'm not that old, so <laughs> I <laughs> And it, his name wasn't David. I know that. But um, but the thing was, you know, and David was like already like doing his thing in Colorado around that time. But um, but then like, then there are other things like we play with guns, but we, we literally had a game called Manhunt where it was literally like you'd go around the neighborhood and like so half the kids were like escaped convicts and the other half were bounty hunters. So like there was like this whole little interesting thing with that. And then I think about like, we play this game sitting out, we, the, the worst thing I ever did as a kid, well, maybe not the worst, but one of the worst things I ever did as a kid that's like dumb things is like waiting for a bus at camp. And we decide to play this game. Like we're waiting for this bus to arrive and summer camp and these, um, and we're like, there's like a four lane road between our apartment complex and the, uh, the, the, like the chain stores, you know, the strip mall across the way. Yep. And it's like Monday. It's like, you know, it's like Tuesday, Wednesday morning traffic, seven o'clock on a summer morning. And my friend and I are thinking that we're like at the lake, thought it'd be fun to skip rocks on the road uh-huh. with traffic, thinking that like, let's have a contest. Can we skip this, these rocks across the road without hitting a wheel of a car? You know, or can you, then it turned into, can we hit the wheel of a car trying to throw these rocks? Again, we're like seven, eight years old and left our own devices and completely stupid. So I see this 18-wheeler come going by like one direction. I'm like going in the opposite direction, like, you know, three lanes away. So I, I skip a rock towards that. It hits that car. It hits that 18 wheeler off of the wheel, rebounds off and hits a Mercedes convertible going the other way Uh. and starts smoking. Oh no. (laughs) And the guy pulls over and like pulls off the road, parks right near where we're at, like calls me over, like enraged. I'm like seven. And like, he's just like, you know, I obviously, like, blew a hose or an en- something in his engine. I'm like, I messed up this guy's car. Like, yeah. I, if, you know, I doubt, I doubt for any reason, but I feel bad. I mean, I feel bad now. I think it was, like, what an asinine kid I, I was to have done this. And then I just remembered flippantly being like, well, there's my bus. I got to go. <laughs> And literally, like, I mean, like, I was like, and with the neighborhood that we were in, it was like par for the course. Like, I literally, I knew, I knew a 12 year old who had gotten a girl pregnant by like, you know, at 12. Like, you know, yeah. and he was one of the kids that, one of the kids, one of the kids in my neighborhood literally got hit by a car going 55 miles an hour because they decided they were going to the roller rink and they were going to cross the highway, the interstate, the interstate. And one of the kids got hit, you, you know, by, I mean, like, we had, I don't know how anybody survived in that little area. And it wasn't because it was like some crime infested neighborhood. It was right. just like, we, I don't know, man. 70s were a weird time and like kids were left to their own devices. And I'm surprised that like I turned into an okay citizen. I think it, actually moving to Georgia was probably part of the reason why that happened, man. but so- yeah, that was, okay. like- <laughs>
1: I'm not going to do it today because I've already shared enough secrets here, but I, I will tell some stories about my late middle school, early high school days, um, and that will be a podcast I will never tell my parents actively
0: yeah. because they, they don't want to
1: hear those stories.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I do have one I'll share with you at some point that involves um, me deciding not to shoplift instead to basically defraud a store at about 11 years old, so... I've so, got a couple of
1: those. Yeah, I've, got those. I've yeah. also got a couple of, shall we say, highway overpass stories.
0: Oh, see? There you go. See? Yeah. So uh, maybe maybe we were all just that stupid at that age. I don't know. I, so. I think we were. I think yeah. we were, man. Okay.
1: Um, all right. So what do we got here? Okay. The final question on our list is the question of your choice to ask the other. So I'm going to play that card here. And I'll ask you this, Matt. I know we've talked a ton about video games and other things we do sort of when we're not watching film or whatever but what is either the last book that you read or the book that you are now currently reading or both or however you want to handle it
0: wow i used to be a really avid reader i mean like i was a lit major in college um and i love to read and i haven't and i can honestly tell you i just actually asked christopher chris harris for a book list of things, because I know that he was a lit guy and he's an author. And so I, I I wanna look there. But when I'm thinking about what I last read, I think I can show you. And it's not anything literary. Let's see. This is by a guy by the name of Pavel Satsulin called Superjoints.
1: Joints. Okay. <laughs> And no, this is not a reference to God's green. No, it isn't. It's, it's a, a reference to human joints in the body.
0: Kicks. Yeah, it's about a Russian fitness expert who's been on Joe Rogan's show a number of times who has trained a variety of like special ops people in, in Russia and in the U.S. And it's about joint exercises and... They've actually been quite helpful. I would say that I would highly recommend this. Um, I actually and from my wife who's got a little bit of arthritis in her shoulder, I had her do some of those things and it's been it's been worthwhile. But yeah, that's the last book I've read. I've been mostly listening to music more than anything, because my eyes get so tight tired after I mean on the computer so much that I find that Reading doesn't really happen for me until maybe a month in June. Maybe June is when I feel like reading at this point. How about you, Mark?
1: Well, I'm currently reading two books right now. The first is one uh, by John Meacham, um, American Gospel, God, the Founding Fathers, and the Making of a Nation, which is kind of an interesting look at sort of the struggle um, at at the birth of this country. Um, that some of our founding fathers were going through in terms of how much religion they wanted involved um, in this nation or not. Um, So I'm reading that, which is, which is enjoyable. And the other book, which I just dusted off as I do every November is a Christmas carol by Dickens. I read it every holiday season. It is just simply my favorite book of all time. Um, So I I make a point to like read it. And I actually have um, an annotated Christmas carol, which is, this like huge volume and it has like basically every line in the book, like a reference to either what Dickens was talking about or what that expression meant or whatever. So it takes a while to get through, but I read that sort of every holiday season and that's what I'm reading right now too.
0: Okay. So here's my question for you. You've been shut in like I have for the most part. And like a lot of us have been, um, where's a place that you you us- would go regularly before the pandemic that you haven't gone to Since
1: that time, and you miss. I mean, one is just simply the gym. Um, I I used to enjoy. It used to be a part of my like daily routine. Drop the kids off, head straight to the gym, get a workout in, then get home, and you know, ten o'clock start my day. Um, I've tried to sort of replicate that with a gym that I've sort of assembled here, but it's you know, it's not the same. Um, You know, and it's one of those things like, you know, as we've talked about the fact that you and I both work from home, the fact that it's always there is like in a way, it's like, you're never not there. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I, I've got like a random, you know, 30 minutes here. Why aren't I working out? It's the same as before that. when you are at home? And you're like, oh man, I really like to relax, but I know my phone's right here or my computer's right here. And if I check Twitter, I'm going to feel like I'm not working enough. And then it sort of messes me you with your head. So the gym is certainly one. And interestingly enough, The grocery store, like I've been in grocery stores, you know, occasionally, but, you know, as somebody that would work from home, that would also be part of the routine was, you know, the kids are at school. The wife is at work. I can like plan menus for the week. I used to love doing that, like sitting down like Sunday night, like, okay, like here's the things we're going to eat Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, I go to the, you know, the gym Monday morning, then sometimes I hit the grocery store and do all the shopping for that. Or sometimes since my gym is like right next to a grocery store, I would just do it each day. So I'd be in a grocery store probably like four or five times a week. And I just found pleasure in that. And now it feels like you're rolling the dice with the health and safety of yourself and your family if you're going to like go into a grocery store. I had to go into a grocery store this week to get a turkey for Thanksgiving. And I was like, is this really worth it? So yeah, the gym of the grocery store, which sounds absurdly lame, Matt. I hope you have a better answer.
0: Well, it's kind of funny because – it shows you how like our lives have become. It's kind of scary. For me, um, there's a park nearby that I would go to regularly, and I would run um, and work out there. And they had a football field out there, and a lot of baseball diamonds as well as like a, a like a frisbee golf wilderness kind of course that the track like was inside of. And so like the it was like a one point one mile course that you could walk around. And I would go there pretty much daily and get a workout in. Um, so I missed that because it was a beautiful area and I like getting out and doing it. I guess I could do that now, but I just didn't, I, I, I just haven't really left the house as much other than to go to the grocery store and I go to the grocery store for the family. So I'd go every two to three weeks now. Um, and I usually go an off hour, so it's usually fairly slow. So it's not a big deal. Um, But like you, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, yeah, I, I kind of, I do kind of miss being able to look around a grocery store and not feel like I have to hurry to go in there and do all that. And my wife makes fun of me because the grocery store is like, the joke is that the grocery store used to be my mistress in our relationship so she'd say like and i'd go to two different grocery stores because one grocery store didn't have what the other one did so like she'd call one the hippie chick and the other one the hood the hood woman that was like so like the kroger was like the hood the hood grocery store and then like the the natural food store that had like the all the organic stuff and the grass-fed stuff and all that was the hippie chick Yeah, And and I laugh because my wife, like, I don't even know if she knows what a grocery store looks like anyway because, I mean, she's burned more pot. My wife is an unbelievable um, craftsperson in terms of, like, carpentry and and design and, and doing anything that you would want in terms of subcontracting work on a house. But she's literally burned my pot's boiling water. Like, she's, like, that... She can't pay attention to something like that. Like, it bores her and then she'll, like... Cooking is not her thing. Like literally her grandfather who helped raise her, when I first met him, the first thing he said to me, it was like, this is how old fashioned they were because they were like, she like learned, like they had like sit, they had like living room dates like in her family, like where the the person who came to like wanted to take her out before he could like take her out to the movies or out to eat somewhere. Like he had to show up to the house and like have a, have like a, a date in the living room just sitting watching TV and having a conversation with the family before he could take, before my wife could go out with whoever it was or anybody in their family going with him. And one time somebody literally, and they lived out in the country. Um, and he was old school. He worked at like a, on a sawmill for like 40, 50 years. Like this guy worked hard and mm-hmm. he was also a bootlegger. So that was kind of interesting nice. too. He had like hidden compartments in his cars. Um, but like he, uh, Apparently one time a guy um, was supposed to go out with my wife and in in school and he, he didn't come up to the door and ring the doorbell. He drove up and honked the horn. Oh, Oh, well, yeah, but there's like degrees of no, no. So like that was apparently that was enough of a no, no that when my, when my wife like leaned to see what was going on, she was like, oh my God, he just did that. My apparently her grandfather said, "Oh, don't you move!" And he went out back to his um, bedroom, pulled out his shotgun, and came out the front door and fired two shots into the air. And the car, like yes, <laughs> and the car literally squealed out. And they had to talk the kid wow. to come back to explain to him why why that reaction was the way it was. So this was how old school he was and so when I met him the first thing he did he literally looked at me and was like you know she can't cook right you know like that was like literally the after he said hey Matt and like he couldn't hear well so I was Mac but he was like hey Mac you know she can't cook right And like out in the front door like wasn't gonna let me in the house until I knew that as a fact as if like you know if I said no he was like well I guess we're just gonna have to take her back home then as if like she lived (laughs) back at home you know with them but that's That was his mentality with it. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So, when I talk about grocery stores, I always laugh because I think for my wife, I think the only grocery store she'd ever been in was like a Harris Teeter. Kind of like a, so so when she makes fun of my grocery stores, I think she she has to prescribe a personality for them. So, listen. um, Did you see
1: Philip Walker? I did.
0: What would you think?
1: I mean, I, I think it's similar to the Taysom Hill conversation we just had where okay. you can have an offense that works with him in the national football. League. Um, you know, I think what you saw from him was athleticism. You saw the ability to create outside of the pocket. You saw some of the vision that he has as a quarterback, which I think you saw in the XFL too. You saw his ability to sort of read fields and things like that, um, his ability to sort of spot routes that break it open where you don't think the quarterback's vision is you know the touchdown route uh the the throw to Moore I mean that's a corner route it's a tough read to see it's a tough throw to make but he made it and he threw it and dropped it in there perfectly um you know I was cautiously optimistic and excited to see his debut and I think he had a good game and so I I think you know do I think that he's the answer for them over Teddy Bridgewater no because I'm we've talked about Teddy um but I do think that Walker's an NFL quarterback who was at least a long-term backup type of guy.
0: Nice. I did not see him. I saw, you know, and I, and the way I posed this question was like, I picked two random quarterbacks, which was like, talk about Philip Walker or, or talk about Sam Ellinger. And I've seen plenty of Sam Ellinger. Um, so when I think about him, you know, and I watch his game, he's one of those players that I think, you know, in a few years, he could become a competent starter in the league with the right kind of work. But, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that when I watch him, he kind of has a tendency to be a little behind with certain types of targets on a regular basis. I think he'd be a great fit, like in a scheme like the Eagles, um, because he can run. He's accurate, you know, against zone, off the zone read. He's got some improvable potential in the vertical game, but his vertical throwing sometimes it's just frustrating to watch. It's like he consistently puts it on the wrong side to where the receiver's running. And it's like, yeah. dude, you have these wide open plays. But he has a really good drop plan. I like his feel in the pocket. Like, I think he has a good overall sense of pressure in terms of feeling backside pressure. He doesn't overreact. I think he stands in and delivers pretty well. He'll take the hit, he's a big, athletic, strong dude. Late, late pressure at his knees and ankles don't bother him. I think he identifies blitzers pretty well. Um, and he can do all sorts of things to maneuver away from pressure. Um, and and he can bait pressure. So I'm I'm really happy about all of that. And the arm is there, but that accuracy component is a bit worrisome and some of the, some of the reads that he makes is are, are worrisome. So when I see him, I see him as like realistically the way the NFL is and what they expect from a player. I see him as a day three player who's going to be taken as a day two player. Um, you know, and but is gonna, his development track is more along those lines of a day three guy who might one day you get into a game and you go, you know what?
1: he's he's better than what I remember well yeah, because yeah. he's improved so yeah. yeah I haven't watched really a minute of him so that's a good good thing to know
0: well all right well good well listen this was fun we had a good time you know you can tell we're we're getting ready for Thanksgiving I think both of us are a little a little worn down from football yeah a little punchy I would say that's for sure but we appreciate you following with us we hope you had a good time and you learned something a little bit about us and you can tell that. Um, Somewhere along the line, society saved us from becoming the worst versions of ourselves. So so on behalf of Mark Schofield and I'm Matt Waldman, you can, you know, you can find us at our respective Twitter angles and our and our respective scribe duties that we have. Um, But check out, you know, Mark's done a good piece on on um, Carson Wentz recently. He's done some great work on Twitter on um, the Sean Watson and there's some, some good work on manipulation with Matt Stafford and Sean Watson at the RSP cat um, RSP site um, so you can find those things out um, and, and learn about the, the intricacies of quarterbacking from Mark who just does fantastic work and thanks again for listening please rate and review this podcast when you have the opportunity, we appreciate that or you can just send us feedback via email or on Twitter and let us know, we always appreciate that as well. You guys have a Great Thanksgiving and see you on the other side.